week's Onyx Pathcast. I am your host, Danielle Lozon. I know this is different from normal. Um, we have a reason for that. Uh, joining me today are Dixie. Hi. And Matthew. Hello. And today we are talking about what do you do when you run out of ideas? What happens when you have writer's block? <laughs> and the answer we have come to is that you have somebody else run your podcast. Yeah, wildcard. <laughs> wildcard Danielle. That's what they call you. Yeah. Now, unlike us, she did get straight to the topic in about 30 seconds. <laughs> mm, I don't like this. Yeah, this is weird. We didn't have like a 10-minute tangent first. No, I'm sorry. Well, I this just is, introduced this isn't the topic. Out. This isn't working out, Danielle. Yeah, oh, no, sorry. No, gosh. Fired. Fired first day. <laughs> you're, you're introducing too much structure into what should be an amorphous podcast format. Um, so I appreciate the effort. Be but we have to say goodbye. <laughs> Many worlds, one podcast. That was the shortest podcast ever. Wouldn't it be one wonderful to do an episode like that? <laughs> I I think people would be alarmed and confused when, yeah. when they downloaded it. I always, like, for all the podcasts that I listen to, every time they do, like, an announcement or something, mm. I always download it without, like, noticing the time. Yeah, and I and 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 then when it's, when it's like a two minute like non episode, I'm always like, what the fuck? Like, what? oh, right. I okay. uh, I will. I, this reminds me. I think Matthew might have been involved with this, but I know Dixie was. Um, when we one time we brainstormed a podcast that was like an actual play. But it wasn't the actual play. It was oh, yeah. the people getting together, everything around the actual mm, play. Yes. I, yes. I, I, I remember talking about that, like just like trying to get ready for it, but never right, actually right. do the actual was, play. Yeah, it was the podcast was going to be everybody kind of sitting around the doing all the pre pregame chatting and talking about what happened the last time on the adventure. Mm. Right. And then be like. And the end of it would be like, all right, let's get ready to play or roll for initiative or something like that, right? Yeah. Right. And we joked about having one of the episodes be literally just dead air for like 30 minutes because <laughs> nobody could make it to that session. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's a free idea for all of our listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that would go down incredibly well with this. <laughs> People were weird enough the time that I forgot to put the music on. Like... Oh. That, that was so funny. I, I, so one of the final steps of um, the audio for this, this is super interesting to all you audacity nerds, I guess, is uh, <laughs> that I, I click a button called compressor and it takes a few minutes. Uh, so sometimes I walk away and I walked away and I came back and I was like, guess I'm done now and did the rest of it and just forgot to tack on the music. And so many folks were like, what happened to the theme song? Where the theme song go? And I was like, I, 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 I just forgot it. It's okay. It's 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 thirty seconds of music. <laughs> it's reassuring though that we have fans who are accustomed to certain rituals. Yeah, uh, you know that they they are dedicated to the dong. Uh, uh, <laughs> and to be honest, now that we, uh, I would say we we kind of integrate the interviews more into the main show. We have less of the division. Bong that we used to. <laughs> it's true. Uh, uh, we used to have a, a stock sound effect for that, and so oh, I guess we still do. It's just yeah, I still have it. Yeah, it doesn't come up quite as often. 
Well, yeah, I, I, I like just having the interview be part of the podcast. Like, that's mm. that, that's what we used to do. And I mean, this is, this is actually kind of related to the topic. It's like how things evolve as you mm-hmm. get used to them. Yeah. And like, we started off doing this very specific, like, the three of us always introduce and end it, right? Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about what's going on at work, whatever else. And then in, in the middle of that, one or two of us has interviewed somebody. Right. Because having four people is a little bit much sometimes. Um, but like... We, we just stopped doing that. We just were like, okay, we'll just do two hosts or one host and have a guest. And I, I like that we're that flexible because it means that we don't all have to be on deck every single week, um, especially if we have things going on, like we're out of town or, you know, somebody's sick or whatever, or yeah. you're just really busy. Like, mm. and there have been times when I was just up super late and I was like, hey, y'all, I'm having trouble sleeping. Can can y'all do this without me tomorrow? And they're like, yeah, because we, we record in the morning usually. Um, well, in the morning for me and Danielle, not for Matthew or Eddie. <laughs> uh, right. But yeah, so like, it's it, it's just nice to have the flexibility to change and adapt uh, rather than be really stuck to a specific format that we were for our first year or so. And I, th- I think a lot of that happened during the pandemic, especially the early parts of it. Yeah. Because we were kind of like, you know, do we talk about it? Do we not talk about it? Do we just say shit's weird, yo? Like... What do we do? We're all at home now. Like, this is a very different thing. We can't talk about, like, going to your friend's house and gaming because no one's doing that. Right. And so, yeah, lots of changes happened over the past couple of years and probably changes will continue to happen. I mean, I'm sure people have noticed that we've had Danielle on a lot more. Uh, She's been working as more of an in-house capacity with Onyx Path for a little while now, which I like because I like having Danielle around. Hi. I like having me around, too. (laughs) And that means that she's more available to be on the podcast and... You know, we we like her. So Yeah, I've been Eddie a couple of times now. It's been great. Yeah, I think I think from now on you can just be Danielle. It's okay. Oh, okay. So, right. you know, if y'all if y'all continue to hear da- Danielle as one of the repeating hosts in the podcast, so that's just how it is now, and that's cool. And I feel like people are cool with that. Yay, audience. Yay, audience. Hooray for all of you. Except for you. You know what you did. <laughs> that one person. Yeah. Actually, there is one person who I'm thinking of right now, and yeah, they do know. (laughs) Is it Eddie? (laughs) No, I I would be betraying a confidence. (laughs) Okay. To say it out loud. But you you know, you know exactly what you did. Every single person who listens who has even a scrap of anxiety is just out there, like, freaking out right now. Is it me? Is it me? Does he hate me? It's only so long before it all comes out on Twitter. (laughs) Right, because you're so prone to Twitter trauma. That's your yeah, favorite thing. Yeah, um, just, All just the blue you check wait. check marks are going to come after you. Uh, that's right. The, the, the fake ones, not the real ones. <laughs> they, yeah. they don't care about you. <laughs> uh, but people who are prepared to invest $8 in a check mark, they care. Yeah, they do. Mm. Is it $8 a month, isn't it? Is it $8 a month? I, $8 I forever. I don't know because it's it's, it's too I'm much money either way. Yeah, I'm certainly never giving Twitter money. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would get out of it. I think is the is the quandary. Uh, uh, the... You would be able to get uh, text two factor authentication out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, right? Like, ooh. wow, pay eight dollars for yeah, two factor. It's it's so funny because if if Twitter were more of like a crowdsourcing thing, like Wikipedia is, I would totally give it money. Yep. Mm. 
But because like I've, I've given Wikipedia money because I've been using Wikipedia for, you know, looking stuff up for over a decade now. But like, I don't want to give Twitter money because I know where the money's going. Well, then yep. the joke that, you know, this website is free about everything yeah. that like random people say on Twitter would stop being true and stop being funny. It's true. And that's sad. Yeah. Because that's, that's one of the best responses of somebody just wilding on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, voluntarily becoming the main character for the day. It's like, what the hell? Right. Okay. So now we've had a nice tangent. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now we could talk about what do you do when <laughs> when you don't know what to do. Where you go off on tangents. Yeah. I mean, that works here, but it doesn't work if you're, you know, if you actually have a job to do. Oh, it does though, doesn't it? There's does plenty it? of people who um, you know, if they can't concentrate on their work, they will find any number of things to do other than work. Um, and it's not out of a place of laziness uh, or any or anything like that it's often a well a form of dysfunction that that makes anyone start watching tv or read a book or play a game or go for a walk or go to the gym or walk a dog or do something that at this time is not necessary but mm-hmm. it's certainly an alternative to what needs to be done because you can't concentrate on what needs to be done. Yeah, and I mean, a, a pretty high percentage of uh, folks in the nerdosphere, including myself, are neurodiverse. Yep. Um, and so a lot of us have to really fight that. Uh, I am currently, I had a mix up with my medication, so I've been off of my ADHD meds for two days now because mm. I it was a Sunday and then a holiday. So I'm going to go pick some up later. <laughs> um, it's not a big deal because mine's one of the ones that stays in your system. It's not Adderall. But it's still like a little weird. I can feel it getting a little weird. And I have I coped with it for 30 plus years without any medication. Um, and it was just during the past few years that it really got bad enough that I was like, I should be on medication. Um, but yeah, having to like reset yourself and f- do it forcibly can be really difficult. Yes. Um, especially if you are... If if you have ADHD, you're constantly hunting for dopamine, <laughs> and sometimes you're looking at your work and you're like, no, that's not going to do it. And then you're like, video game, that will do it. I will get achievements. I will feel good about myself um, because it's really hard to have those achievements come from inside your own brain. So even if I like, you know, get some satisfaction from finishing a piece of work, it's not the same satisfaction as some outside source going, here's a reward. Yeah, uh, oh, I mean, I sometimes get that when reading a book, you know, it's mm-hmm. the, the drive to finish the chapter before you put it down, or if you're playing a game like Crusader Kings, it's the drive to see the end of this character's life before right. you save it, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't tend to get the, that I guess, the need for distraction myself. When I suffer writer's block, I guess, or a lack of... I don't know what would we what what would you consider a the like a motivation motivation I guess yeah. uh, I I'm pretty good at I guess compartmentalizing and scrutinizing why why am I lacking motivation to do this particular thing mm-hmm. and if it is something as simple as I genuinely don't have any ideas for this piece of work I 
very quickly switch to, okay, so where can I get these ideas from? Mm-hmm. Normally that will be talking to other people on a team or to the developer. If I'm genuinely, you know, at a point where I'm struggling and I don't know where to go with something. Uh, but it could be trying to pick up inspiration from some other media. Uh, so I, I, I've over the last couple of years, I've got a lot better at reading, which may sound ridiculous to listeners that a writer has got better at reading. But I often make the case that reading is a practiced skill uh, that you can very easily fall out with reading. And it's quite difficult to pick it back up again. It certainly feels a lot harder than doom scrolling. Uh, but right. I, I do find reading, and not particularly role-playing games, if I'm honest, uh, I find reading a very inspirational thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I need to download something on the Kindle, or if I have a book to hand, and luckily I've got quite a few, or even if I need to head into town and go to the library, I suppose I'm fairly old school in that regard. I'm I'm more than comfortable to dedicate an afternoon to just reading to get my head full of ideas. And that will very quickly knock the writer's block aside and, and I guess, put me on the right track. Um, but yeah, it can certainly, I guess, paralyze me for a short period. But I, I tend to be pretty quick at identifying that it has happened and what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that with TV shows. Yeah, I would say I did it with TV shows a great deal before I started getting back into reading. I, I think mm-hmm. um, TV shows are definitely a motivator too. Uh, uh, one of the reasons I don't watch TV shows so much during the working day, I suppose, is because of binge-watching Netflix series, Amazon Prime series and so on. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's often... Um, there's rarely something new that mm. is desirable for me mm. that I haven't already watched in the course of evenings, if that makes sense. I, I rarely feel the desire to, at, at lunchtime, start a new show. Right, right. Uh, it, for, for some reason, it does not scratch the same itch for me as picking up a novel or reading a history book. Uh, which which is interesting because Dixie, you mentioned video games. It sounds like we all go to different places mm-hmm. uh, when we suffer that uh, that paralysis. Yeah, I mean, for, for for me, it's more. So my my main issue is something called executive d- dysfunction, which I've talked about before on here, I think. Uh, but if not, it is a thing that happens with ADHD and some other uh, neurodiversities, where you want to do a thing and you intend to do the thing. And you know doing the thing has to happen. And then you just don't. And there is no reason behind it aside from your brain being a jerk. Yeah. Um, that's that's a thing that I've dealt with my entire life. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought I was just lazy, honestly, because I believed what adults around me were saying. Um, and now I realize that if I had had proper like coping mechanisms and possibly medication, I, I would have had a very different childhood. Uh, because, yeah, like even something as simple as like brushing your hair you know, can be one of those things where you're like, I should really do this thing. And then you just don't. Mm. And then you suddenly feel worse about it. And you're like, I should do the thing. I feel a lot better. And, and, then, and then you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that applies to lots of things. And it's definitely something that I've had to cope with working from home versus working in retail. Because mm-hmm. in retail, you're kind of in a panopticon. Like somebody's watching you. And you're accountable for every single task you're supposed to do. 
Right. Uh, because somebody will notice if you don't do it. But when you're working from home and there's, you know, no one else in the room, it's like, well, no one is going to know if I do this thing. And once again, it's not something that you're like purposefully doing to be a bad person. Hmm. It's just your your brain sabotaging you. Right. Um. So, yeah, as as people who've listened know, as a lot of folks know who have seen Twitch, like I have a sticky note system everywhere. I put sticky notes on my monitor sometimes to be like, you can't ignore this. It's in the middle of your screen. Um. I have alarms that occasionally I will set to go off. I have a planner. I have all kinds of tools that I use to try to stay on task as best I can. And one of the big ones is noticing when I've gone off task and getting back on it, like you were just saying, Matthew. Yeah. Uh, because that is something that I struggle with. Is sometimes I go off task and then it's two hours later because time blindness is also a thing with ADHD. Mm. <laughs> we have so many stupid symptoms that make us just not function in a neurotypical world as easily as most people. And that's that's fine. You know, it is something that a lot of folks deal with. It is definitely not like new to anybody. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening have at least heard about this. A lot of folks talk about it on Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and everything else. There are memes about it, you know. Uh, but it, it is very real and it does really impact us. So mm. my experience is going to be a little bit different from y'all's um, in that if I have writer's block, sometimes my brain is just like, leave, do something else, go away. And then I have to kind of like force myself back to work on it. Mm. Um, but also I very rarely deal with writer's block much, much like you, Matthew, because I do tend to be like, what should I put here? Uh, let me go look at a book for five seconds or talk to, you know, Danielle or Eddie or somebody and say, like, what should I put here? Yeah, I um, Yeah, I will say that for writer's block specifically, like the concept of staring at an empty page and not knowing what to put on it. Right. Is not the struggle that I have um, most of the time. I'm more similar to you, Dixie, in that I like I know what I need to do, and I I even have ideas for what's going to come out when I get to it. But the act of forcing myself to get to it is very hard, and the the motivation, you know, what what does it take to get myself to work as opposed to doom scroll or play a video game or watch TV or whatever else I'm doing to right. avoid working. And one of the things that I found is the difference between internal motivation and external motivation. So, you know, what you were talking about when you worked at Sephora or worked at retail is that you had an external motivation. You had this right. personal accountability where if you didn't do your job, there was going to be a consequence. And it wasn't just a personal consequence. It affected the store. Right. Right. It affects your coworkers. So I started doing some like fake external motivation <laughs> where I will hop on a call, uh -huh. uh, like a like a co-working call with somebody yep. while I'm working from home. And I used to go out before the pandemic. I used to go to like a, a coffee shop with a friend or go to their house or something like that. And co-work with another person and just the idea of having someone else there even if they weren't working on the same thing as me gave me that fake external motivation of ah I have a co-worker next to me they're working I should be working as well mm -hmm. um and we would take breaks and chat with each other 
and, and then, you know, continue working, but I was way more productive and I am way more productive if I get on a call because I, I have that external motivation, even if it's not a real, like, oh, this coworker, this person is depending on me to work. Mm. My brain is like, oh, I'm in work mode because this person is also working. Right. Yeah, that is something that I've had a lot of folks, uh, like I've I've done a few times, and I know that Megan Fitzgerald really enjoys doing that. One of our devs and writers, mm-hmm. um, when when she's doing freelance stuff, and then for for me, it's just been like sometimes that works for me, and sometimes I'm like, now I just want to have a conversation with this person because I like them. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I'm also very social. So I'm like, I could work or I could talk to my friend who's here. And sometimes it turns into that. Yeah. Um, but the more you do it, the less the desire to just talk because it's like, well, I just talked to you yesterday. Right. And the day before and the day before. So when it becomes a routine, then it's like, oh, yes, we are talking and we do chat. Like, you know, what happened last night? Oh, how was your game? You know, da 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 da, catching up on things. We're like, oh mm-hmm. man, I read this news article and let's gab about it. Uh, but it always eventually goes back to, I've got, but I've also got a task I need to do. Right. Yeah. And I am somehow more productive even when I'm just gabbing with somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't always work. I will say that. I mean, that's that's a thing. It's like nothing is 100% foolproof mm-hmm. for yeah. anybody. Um, and especially if, if if you are neurodiverse, sometimes you have to switch up your methods quite a bit uh, because one of them will fade into the background. Right. Um, like if I put a note on something and it stays there for too long, it ceases to exist because it's now yeah. part of the landscape. Right. Um I know that I, I was talking to uh, Eddie a while back and we talked about using like I have a big blank white wall next to my my space mm-hmm. and instead of hanging art on it I think I, like I'm gonna just start using it to stage my projects on sticky notes um, because then it will a be colorful and pretty and b have priority projects and I can move them around based on what their priority is like I, I can put little like labels on the wall that are like urgent yeah. Can, can wait, whatever. And you can move stuff around. And that's something that I haven't done yet, but it's on my list of things to try. Um, because it, it, it will be very visible because it'll be right next to me. Um, and moving things around as they change in priority is also important because that is like, like it, it, it is weird because it's a concept that babies understand, but object permanence is also very difficult sometimes yeah. when, when you have this, this, this brain. Um, and that's why most people I know who have this have like doom boxes, which is a box where you put a bunch of random shit and you just leave it in the box forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and logical people will go, well, if you haven't needed it in a year, why, why did you just throw it away? And it's like, because I could need it in the future and I right. plan to go through it someday and someday ends up being never. <laughs> so it's like, that's, that's, that, that's my emotional support doom box. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, and that's that, that's the thing is like I'm going to have very different experiences to Lake Matthew as as we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has their own way of coping with this stuff, and that's and that's just for like working and getting motivated as and you know whatever and writing, going looking for inspiration, talking to somebody else. Eddie's talked a bit about a process called rubber duck debugging, which is oh, where yeah. you explain your problem to an inanimate object and often find the solution just by talking through it. And that is something that I have done multiple times. Um, sometimes using 
you know, Matthew or Eddie or somebody as the rubber duck. Like, I'll I'll talk to them thinking that they're going to help me find the answer. And then as I explain the problem, I'm like, oh, wait, I got this. Okay, bye. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm not very helpful. You're incredibly helpful, but sometimes you find the answer on your own. I'm better you as an inanimate object. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get a custom-made bobblehead of you to sit on my desk. Oh, well, like, that, yeah, that, that's a good idea. My, my, <laughs> my head does bob around like that while I'm working. And it's four times too big for your body, like most bobbleheads. It are. is, it is. That's why I don't go out so much these days. Not not because I'm self-conscious. Just it <laughs> but because fit. you can't make it through the door. <laughs> exactly, it won't fit through the door frame. I have all kinds of knitwear stuck halfway down my head that I thought I'd be able to wear as a jumper, so now I look like some bizarre <laughs> supervillain. Somebody uh, accidentally put Matthew in big head mode from Goldeneye? Yes, big head wool man is what they call me. Um, I think I'm the villain in Super Dragon Tensai Kitchen X7. Um, I feel like that would be like an anime villain. Big head wool man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or someone in Exalted. Uh, <laughs> it could be a protagonist, could be an antagonist, who knows? Could be a god. I so yeah, it's really interesting that both of you say that, uh, especially about the desire to interact with people mm-hmm. uh, for work, because that's something I. Although I mentioned, you know, I will quite happily go on mm-hmm. Discord chat with the team or the developer. It's probably the lowest on my rung, or a very low rung, for what motivates me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am someone who tends to be more than happy to work in solitude, and my key motivator, as very simple and boring as it probably sounds to the listener, is, I guess, the project. <laughs> uh, the the deadline, the, the assignment itself. Uh, I guess I... Mm-hmm. I uh, gear a lot of my life around things like dates, times, objects uh, more than I do around people, which may sound sociopathic, it's not intended Uh, but the point being that sometimes or most of the time, all I need to get started on a project is to know that okay, I've got two months to do this and I know that if I can finish this within three weeks to a decent standard I've got five weeks to play with, that means I can get another assignment in, earn a little more money, and so on and so forth. And that often launches me into the work. Uh, it it felt really good. I'm working on a game with Danielle as the developer. Mm-hmm. And it felt really good for me, without going into the details of this game, which is under NDA right now, Uh, to as as soon as the project started to pretty much come out out, uh, of the starting blocks as it were uh, and present to first Danielle to make sure I was on the right track but then to my co-writers okay so here's the structure for this this is how we should go ahead with this chapter we're working on because it was forward momentum at an early point in a project and Mm -hmm. that for me feels very rewarding and I guess galvanizing uh, when I'm working on something 
Uh, and likewise, I know people who really struggle with that motivation until the last two weeks until deadline, and that's absolutely fine if Hello. they get the work in. <laughs> yeah. um, waves, waves. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I, I'm quite the opposite. Uh, if As soon as I see those uh, doors open, I am right on the project because I want to fit as many extra projects into that time frame as I can and do all the things that I guess I value um, from from the writing experience, which is write lots of games, run lots of games, earn as much as I can from it, it's as capitalistic as that might sound. It's it's a necessity, in right. especially in this industry. Uh, and, you know, get more credits to my name, network more, fit things like that in, that I feel like if I do spend too much time in, I guess, the planning stage, uh, I will miss out on. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear you both discuss the ways you work because mm. in some ways it's uh, topsy-turvy to the way that I do and I wouldn't suggest that either of them is better than the other. It's just my way is better for me. Yep, and right. And... Uh, and I've I've sort of sank into that quite comfortably. I'm very fortunate to have, or lucky, or whatever, uh, to have found my rhythm early on. And I wonder how much of it is down. And I don't want to credit all of this to to it, but I wonder how much of it is down to having worked for a long time in a very structured working environment. Uh, doing things like project management, doing mm-hmm. things like leading teams and investments to hit targets and all of that I mean, stuff. That's probably part of it, but I cannot yeah. stress enough how much of my issue is just that my brain hates me. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I would love to be able to work like you do. Like, I wish I could just get up and do the work and then stop for the day and be done, you know, and never have to struggle. But I'm going to have to struggle. And... That's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that I have to work differently. It means that sometimes if I find myself not being motivated until after lunchtime, I end up working in the evening, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. Like, I, I I did this to myself on some level, you know, instead of having my, like, free time at night, like most folks would, I had my free time before lunch because uh-huh. that's when I wasn't motivated and I was doing whatever the hell I wanted that wasn't working. Um I do like being in a workplace. It gives me the, the, the flexibility to have like a weird sleep schedule and stuff like that, aside from, you know, certain meetings and things. Um, because I've, I've always struggled with staying on a quote unquote normal sleep schedule because once again, my brain is not quote unquote normal. Um, and by that, I mean, it's not typical. Uh, so yeah, like it's, 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 it's probably a combination of things. It's, it's partially that you have that background, that experience, and it's partially just that your brain works. Well, yes, yeah, that is probably the way I'm wired. Yeah. The the uh, something that came up for me recently and I I am spouting pure hypotheticals right now is I was speaking to someone who was interested in getting into writing and they into writing RPGs and they had a military history. Uh, they were in the army. And I know a few people who have mm. served mm-hmm. and have gone into writing RPGs or are writing RPGs while serving. And it made me wonder with how regimented your life is in a military capacity for most people, most serving people, 
uh, how that would translate for you into working in the creative arts, mm-hmm. I suppose, uh, because certainly the 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 common image in I think a lot of people's minds is that even after you are discharged and you're no longer on duty. A lot of people who served live their life by routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a difficult habit to shake, and it isn't necessarily one that needs to be sh- shook off if the person lives by it and you know finds satisfaction in it. But would those skills translate well to doing things like okay, now's the time to sit at the desk and write this and you know hit this deadline mm-hmm. and so on? Or because it's a different medium, a different outlet for what you're doing, would that, okay, now's the time to sit at the desk. That doesn't mean I suddenly have a mind full of ideas to write. Right. Right. I I can only speak anecdotally as somebody who dated somebody who was in the Navy for several years and also... I don't know. I had a thing for a while. I've dated like most military branches. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of them because obviously the people I would date in the military are the ones who get out of work at the end of the day and turn into weird punk rock kids. Because, um, you know, that's that's me. Uh, so like a lot of them have, have said to me that like they have nothing but time to think during the day because they're told what to do. Yeah. All the time. Like you, you are not always thinking for yourself in a lot of those jobs. It, it, it also depends on what you're doing. Like, are you, you know, are you a welder who has to actually be, like, paying close attention to whatever you're doing or some kind of, you know, doing math or code breaking or any of that stuff? Or are you, like, filling out forms? Yeah. In triplicate all day. Uh, because that's boring. And your, your mind can definitely wander while you're doing a lot of those jobs. One of, the, one of my friends uh, who was in the Air Force, his job was literally to, like, paint missiles Mm. And he's like, yeah, I, I do nothing but think about shit all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, you know, there are a lot of jobs where you can't have, like, certain electronic devices. Also, this was back in, like, 03 before it was even common to have, like, you know, iPods or anything. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was like they could maybe turn on the radio, but past that, there wasn't a lot going on. So, yeah, I I think it kind of lives up to that. But also, I've met people who get out of the military and really struggle with finding a routine because no one's telling them what to do. Mm. Like one of the things that's really helped me in the past little bit here is that Eddie has started being like a little more hardcore about deadlines and checking in with things. Mm-hmm. And that's been helping me get motivated because I know that someone's going to check. Um, and my other thing that that I do personally is I actually tell my boyfriend every morning what my plans for the day are. And when he comes home, he asks if I got those things done and I truthfully tell him yes or no. Yeah. You know, like I, I say like, oh, I didn't get that one done. I'll do it after dinner, you know, or whatever. Or like, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a big deal. I can do that tomorrow. It's fine. You know, but like he, he checks on me. And the fact that there's somebody that I am, you know, accountable to on some level, even if, you know, he's not going to you know, fire me, obviously, because he can't. But but he can, you know, be sad that we don't get to hang out after dinner because I didn't do the thing. And so, like, it's 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 nice to have someone who pays attention. Yeah, no, no, I, I can I can definitely understand that, even if it isn't the the life that I live. You know, it's it makes perfect sense why right. that would be a motivator. Yeah, having an accountability buddy is is kind of nice. But yeah, Matthew, I think that your uh, style of motivation is uh, you have a lot of self motivation, mm-hmm. and you 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 also clearly get satisfaction from completing your work on your own. 
Right. Which for some people, it's a, that's just not a thing that motivates me. I get motivated by praise or dread or other people <laughs> needing me to do something. Yeah, I'm not sure what I what I expect at the end of a project. Uh, it, yeah, I don't think it's it is either praise or dread for me. I I do wonder, and it sounds creatively bankrupt to say it. I do wonder if it is as simple as the money. Uh, but Matthew's just in it for the money. You heard <laughs> well, I'm it here in the first. wrong industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, and I, I don't say this as any kind of. I, I promise, uh, listeners, I don't say this from a point of arrogance or, or boasting or anything like that. Um, that I, I do pr- fairly well uh, out of writing and it, the reason I am able to do fairly well out of writing and be the family breadwinner and all of that is because I've found a way to make it work for me. Uh, it isn't a way that would work for everyone. And part of that is also running nine games, nine paid games a month. Right. It's yeah, something, that's... it's something that comes up a fair amount of the Onyx Bath discord in fact, recently, and I've been interested to get involved in those discussions about things like paid GMing and the Mm -hmm. ethics behind it and so on, and I tend to weigh in to make sure everyone's staying polite, and for the most part, everyone does. Mm -hmm. But I've had quite a lot of people now say to me that they don't understand how I can run uh, not just nine games a month plus my weekly home game. Uh, but that I can juggle that many systems, that I can juggle that many stories, that I can keep all of them engaging enough that the players continue to pay, that kind of thing. And part of the motivation for me to do that is simply that, well, I need the money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a child. You know, I've got a house to, to, to keep running. Yeah, and I mean that's 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 also a bit of like hustle culture too, because yeah. you're freelancing for other companies way more than like I am. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I haven't been taking on other work for a long time because I've just been like trying to focus on getting the work I have to do done, <laughs> and definitely. that's taking up all my time. You know, um, which is it, it's fine that that is. I'm I'm glad I can focus on this one thing because I do have a stable income from Onyx Path, but like not everybody has that luxury either, and I do realize that. No, no, uh, and and I and. It also serves as, to go back to, I guess, what I was talking about originally in terms of creative writer's block, by running this many games, I I find that, yeah, short of reading books, this is all the creative impetus I need. Uh, by running that many games for that many players, I am seeing nine different worlds a month, I'm getting to tell nine different stories and get however many players there are tell their stories in turn. And while I'm not lifting those stories verbatim, it definitely provides inspiration to me to the point that now I don't know how well I would write without running this many games, or certainly maybe nine's a bit excessive. Uh, but I find it a huge battery of creative energy I suppose, to tell stories ranging from, right now I'm running games of Numenera, I'm running Well of the Wild West, I'm running Eclipse Phase, I'm running uh, Scion. Uh, in fact, just recently started up Victorian Mage, all kinds, and so they jump around different genres, different mm-hmm. settings, uh, different systems. 
But by doing that, I like to think that it keeps my mind fresh uh, for for the writing. It's interesting that you say that because I I was having this conversation with my husband um, just a few days ago where we were talking about running games. And I mentioned that you run games, uh, like a lot of games a month. And I was kind of commenting that I, like, not that I don't understand how you do it because clearly you do it and you find a, like a creative stimulus from it. Yeah. Where when I run games for people, it doesn't matter what kind of game it is. It doesn't matter how easy the game is to run. It doesn't matter how, um, like intuitive the game is. It doesn't matter how much back and forth there is between the players and me. When I run a game, it takes a lot out of me. Mm. I am exhausted afterwards. I am like, I need a nap after I run a game. And mm. I don't know if it's because I, I put on, like I, I put a lot of not creative energy, but personal energy into it. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I am, I get exhausted after I run a game and I could not imagine doing that multiple times a week. Right. <laughs> um, a much less nine times a month. Like I'm, whoa. Um, it's because it's exhausting to me. And what's weird about that is I have run games like as a way to test out a, a scenario that mm-hmm. I was writing or to play test a, a system that I'm making. And I get a lot out of it. I, it's, you know, it's fun. It's helpful. I get a lot out of it. I get a lot of good feedback. It is good for the creative process, but my brain is like, this is so exhausting. <laughs> and it's so weird to me because I am definitely a person that charges my batteries by hanging out with people and talking to people. I am fueled by other people. Yeah. So it is deeply weird to me. Like in my mind, I cannot parse why this activity that is only a little more structured than just hanging out with people somehow goes from filling my battery to draining my battery. I know that for me, so I, um, I, I've, I've been trying to run games more and more. I know that Longtime listeners will know that for the first few years, I was like, I don't run games. Um, and mm-hmm. I've been trying to get better at it, at it and also just, you know, put myself out there, do something new. Um, especially because to run the kind of games I want to run, like, I, I have to run them. Like, I can't I can't force other people to run games for me. Right. Um, I mean, you, you, you can try, but it's not going to be a good time for anybody. Um, and I, I think that for me, the difference between running and playing, because playing I don't have that drain with, but running I do. Um, is that I am like I have anxiety. It's a thing that happens, and I am constantly like, "Are they having fun? Is this fun? Are we having a good time? What am I going to say if they do this? What do they do? What, do they, what if they do something that I'm not prepared for? What if this happens?" And like trying to like account for all scenarios in your head that you could possibly answer, yeah. and also just improving is not my forte. So if people go like way off what I kind of thought this session was going to be, sometimes that also it makes me kind of freak out a little. Like, I don't know how to fix this, you know, um, not out loud, but in my head. 
and then I have to kind of like work around it. Um, Like it's it's the same reason that like fiction writing isn't my strong suit Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not the best at resolving plots uh, in a way that isn't trite. (laughs) And so trying to like, you know, make make sure they're having a good time. Of course, everybody has the like, what, what do they call it? Like Matt Mercer effect now, mm-hmm. um, where everybody thinks that they have to run a game like professional actors. Um, <laughs> I definitely which, do not do that. Yeah, I, and I mean, no one does that. It's a TV show and yeah. podcast. Um, so, like, yeah, just 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 trying to make sure that like everything's having a good time because, like, at at the end of the day, when you're running a game, like you are kind of the arbiter of fun. Yeah, and that's a that's that's a place that comes with some pressure. Um, whereas if I'm just hanging out talking to you, uh, you know, I, I I don't have that pressure on me because there's no consequences. We're just having a conversation. Mm. But if like, you know, there there there's some part of you I think that when you're running a game, you're like, what if I do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or I mess up what this person's intentions were or whatever. And even if you're not like cognizant of all that, it's still like a little background noise bit in my head. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I I wonder, I haven't run a game Confession Time. I haven't run mm-hmm. a game in a long time. My God. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> Who are I ha- you? Uh, I know. I haven't run a game since I started my medication. Mm. And I suffer from depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if now that my anxiety isn't as much of a problem for me, if it wouldn't be as bad. I haven't tried it. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about it in that context before. Yeah, because that's that's what it is for me, and and what it was for me for a long time. Like the the reason I was very like I don't run games was anxiety. Um, I I've always struggled with improv. Um, I don't know why. I just do. Like I can come up with eight thousand ideas in a second because I have ADHD. But then the minute that I like have like have to come up with one on the spot, my brain's like no. Mm-mm. I will not do the thing now. And so like I've been brought to tears by like doing a role play scenario at work to like how to deal with a shoplifter (laughs) (laughs) because I couldn't figure out what to say. And that's what I'm always like a little worried about. Now, I have learned a lot of things, um, especially from Monica Specca, but also from a lot of other people that have run games for me, including Matthew, Eddie, D, whoever else. Um, And I... I think experiencing different people running games has been really uh, useful to me because like Monica is very big. on like, what do you think happened? Mm -hmm. And so being able to just like turn it around and ask the player because they probably have something cool in their brain, you know, like if they're kicking down the door or opening a chest or trying to do a magic spell or whatever, they almost certainly know what they want the effect to be. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's also why if a player comes across a solution to a problem that is way cooler than what you thought of, you're just like, yeah, that's exactly what I intended the whole Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. That, that, that is the actual bad guy in PC number 43, who I didn't even give a name to, but you're right. He looks shady. So he's probably the bad guy. Um, and yeah, like being able to go with the flow and not being too like married to your narrative is a thing that I've really had to learn. So like, honestly, like relaxing the reins a little bit has been what's helped me the most. Yeah. Um, and I know that y'all already know, know how to do that. But for me, it felt very like, I had to have this whole story plotted out. And if, if, if they deviate from the story or the pre-made scenario or whatever, then everything falls apart. 
yeah and yeah not not being married to that is really important i uh i may have told this story before but when i first started running games i would write games out beforehand i'd write the scenarios out in mm-hmm. full you know biographies for the characters including the npcs including their full stat blocks uh, i would write out the adventures pretty much in the style of a D adventure with little boxed text i'd handwrite it but i'd put but bits and boxes that I needed to read Mm -hmm. aloud and even italicize my text sometimes where I needed to because I was that keen on running an adventure that seemed Mm -hmm. I guess authentic I don't know but that that was how my brain worked didn't matter what kind of game I was running and I probably did this for five years or so of running games and I was running a game of Pathfinder so it you know, in the great scheme of things, not all that long ago, but it was Pathfinder First Edition. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, written out this uh, this long, detailed adventure where these five wizards' towers had mystically appeared on this sort of ruby-red plateau, and uh, they had disappeared several hundred years before, and adventuring bands mm-hmm. from all over the damn place were migrating there. There was an exodus. you know, Everyone was wanted to be the first people to conquer these towers. And so I had breadcrumbed the order of the towers that the player characters would need to tackle. And they went to the first one as planned. They went through the rooms that I had set out uh, in pretty much the order I wanted. Everything went by the page. Players seemed to have a good time. I had a good time, felt rewarded for what I'd written. They came out and decided at that point that they would tackle the Tower of Bone rather than the Ruined Tower, which was the second one I had written up. And I hadn't finished writing the Tower of Bone. It was just bullet points on a page at this point. And internally, like you mentioned, you know, I panicked. I had that anxiety. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Even though I'd been running games for years by this point, this was the first real time someone had wanted to sort of go into a whole dungeon I hadn't plotted out. And I went along with it. And somehow improvised an entire dungeon with antagonists, traps, rooms, mm-hmm. treasures, riddles, all the you know, all the usual dungeon tropes and a big bad guy at the end. I basically made it up as I went along. And from that moment, in this sort of <laughs> come to Jesus, uh, <laughs> from from that point, I have never ever written an adventure out page by page. Mm-hmm. Almost every single thing I run, whether it's for people in person or whether it's for my various Patreon groups over Discord, I will have bullet points. I will have some key NPCs and their motivations. And then I let the players tell the story uh, within the sort of vague boundaries that I've set up. And mm-hmm. by doing that, I've I felt a considerable a considerably less pressure uh, to adhere to my plan. And I, and for me, that was what was causing the, the anxiety. I always used to think it was the players and not knowing what they would do, but it wasn't them. It mm-hmm. was that I had written myself into a box. Right. And exactly. by no longer doing that. Now, I, you know, I admit, you know, not everyone is as confident uh, at improvising as you mentioned, Dixie. Mm-hmm. Oh, but totally. I, I have certainly found myself far stronger as an improviser than as a 
planner. I find it a lot more rewarding now to improvise a game uh, mm-hmm. to the extent that years later, probably about five years ago at a convention in England, I ran a three-day game of A Dirty World, I think the game's called. It's a noir kind mm-hmm. of game. Uh, very, very simple. Uh, one of the first, I guess, indie games, in in a sense, uh, of the current generation. And uh, the, you know, some bootlegging plot, Boardwalk Empire inspired. And this game, because it was supposed to run, I think it was, yeah, three sessions across three days. So 12 mm-hmm. hours total. I decided, okay, well, I've got to plot this out. I've got to plot out the pacing because it's got to be concluded by the end of this convention. And so I did write it out in the old style that I did. Uh, and by the time I got to the end of the second session, I was bored witless as a yeah. GM. The players seemed to be enjoying themselves, but I felt so disengaged from what was going on because yeah. I had more or less accounted for everything the players might do and everything I might say. And I just felt so empty by the end of the con, which was such a, I guess, hubristic thing to think because I'd ran a good game. I should have felt good about that for the players. But for me, it felt like, well, I've just been a bystander, more or less, for a story I've already written. Yeah, you know, you say that and, you know, easily forgetting that the GM is a player too. Mm, yeah. You know, I think a lot of people forget that, including myself for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, like, you should also be having fun. If yeah. you're not, then, like you say, it, it's kind of boring. And, you know, you you le- you leave and you're like, oh, I ran a good game, but it wasn't satisfying. Mm. Right? Like, I I do understand that. And I don't think that's hubristic to say, oh, well, the players had fun, so I should be thrilled thrilled about that like nah well i i remember one of the players who came out of it uh was someone who i used to game with a lot and eventually gave gave in with role playing because uh his his anxiety about running a good mm. game um ended up just draining all the fun out of the hobby uh for him there were lots of other reasons but that was one of them and obviously this as well he was still role playing and i remember saying to him because i traveled to this con with him that oh, I didn't really like that. It all just went too according to plan. And he said to me, um, basically said, you arrogant bastard. <laughs> because uh, I was complaining that I had had a game go well, and he always felt like none of his games ever did. <laughs> and um, But it's obviously stuck with me this idea and it it again convinced me that i enjoy myself a lot more if i'm i guess going with the flow right more than preparing everything in advance yeah this conversation has turned into running games um (laughs) that's fine for for, for what it's worth when i pitched this as an idea i was like this also can apply to running games and playing games and like places where you get stuck creatively that's why i mentioned it so i like that like well i thought it organically went there but apparently matthew had a was was, was, agenda secret agenda you're planning this out all along yeah i'm not an improviser at all i've got this all scripted (laughs) 
Matthew's been that. reading from text boxes this whole time. Yep. Oh my god. It, it, yes, uh, little lovely borders that I've shaded with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about how this goes back to writer's block. Um, if you're a player, and mm-hmm. um, you know, because I I do understand what you were talking about, Matthew, of like plotting out the entire thing, writing an entire world, writing backstories for every NPC, um, and how that can actually be detrimental to a game if you rely on that too much and your players go off the script. Uh, because if they try to go off the script and you're not prepared for it and you try to get them back on script, then it feels unnatural. Yeah. And also like railroady, like your players will respond to that in a poor way. Mm. They're like, but I want to go do this thing and you're not letting us or you're making it like you're punishing us for it. Yeah, I have definitely. So I have both done that when I was like running my very first game because I was terrified. Sure. Um, Because they went straight to like the one place they were supposed to go last. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So they didn't see any of the clues. And I was like, damn it. And like, I actually stopped and said like, hey, y'all, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. But if you do this. We're going to be over in like an hour and a half, essentially. Yeah. And I don't want that to happen because it was, it, it was at a four hour event. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were all cool about it. They all knew it was my first time running a game. Yeah. Um, so they, they were, you know, very cool about it. That, that's great. Recently, I was playing in a longer D&D campaign that, that was super fun, but it it was one of the like pre-made ones for 5e. Yep. And apparently it was also the most railroady one. <laughs> <laughs> so every time that like we'd ask a question or something that wasn't in the book, our our DM who also was a little shy about improvising was like, "It's not in the book," and it became a source of frustration for one of the players, especially because he's one of those people who always wants to know why a thing is happening, yeah, or yeah. like why a thing is the way it is. And if that isn't in the book, then our DM wouldn't just like come up with an answer. Um, right now, I have had to explain to them I'm I'm about to run Pugmire for the same group. And I've had to explain that there will be some things that don't have answers because it's, just... it's, it's magic, it's man, it's ancient. You don't know what it is. Yep. Um, and that's you're, like, you're, you're going to have to deal with that because that's part of the setting mm-hmm. um, is that there are things that you're not going to know what they are. But I made sure that I said that up front so that the player who really likes to ask 8,000 questions about everything and how things work, I'm like... I'm like, sometimes the answer is going to be, you don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I might not know. And that's okay. Because that's not the point of the story. Right. Um, so that's that's something that, like, I've definitely run up against. I've definitely seen happen to DMs who weren't me. Um, it is difficult. And if you have, like, a really specific plan or you're running a, a, a pre-made adventure and people go off the rails, it can be difficult. So how do y'all turn it back around if you were running say like one of the jump starts or something that has like really specific situations and scenes danielle do you want to go first sure um you know i lean into whatever my players want to do uh so if if they want to go off the rails if they want to go investigate a thing that i you know that isn't in the book per se um i'm gonna let them do it and i'm gonna make something up and, and come up with a, a satisfactory, you know, plot for that. And if they right. connect that somehow back to, you know, if they're like, oh, this big conspiracy that's going on and we went and investigated this thing and and it's connected to this thing and it's like, it's not actually. 
um, like you said, like it is now uh, <laughs> because you said that. Uh, right. And I don't mind never getting back to the book. I don't mind going off on a tangent that never returns. Yeah. Um, if they, if it means that they've left an antagonist out there, like doing nefarious things, it will eventually come back to that because that antagonist will still be out there doing nefarious things. Mm -hmm. And it will cause them, pro I'll make sure that it causes them problems in the future. Yeah. If it is an unresolved, like somebody is missing and they never find that person, you know, I may bring it up later as, you know, the bot, the remains of this person were found in the river and they're like, oh, or something like that, right? So there'll be some minor, I say that's not minor, like you, the person you were trying to find died is not minor, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I'm not going to make a giant plot point about it. Essentially, they'll find out that there was a consequence of them not following the trail. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to force them to go back to it if they're not interested in it. And that's one of the things that I think I'm pretty good. And one of, maybe one of the reasons why running games is so draining for me is that I often don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. I don't even have bullet points. Like Matthew's like, I have some bullet points. I, I have like a name generator right. and a blank piece of paper in front of me. And I will, and a, and a, a seed of an idea here's where you start and here's, you know, kind of, I have a kind of idea of like a big picture. I'm going to run a game about X, but how they get there, where they're going, who they meet along the way, it's all kind of guided by the things that they're saying and the ideas that they want to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so and I have absolutely run games from books before. Like I have oh, yeah. run jump starts. I have run adventures. Um, but I, I always just kind of try my hardest to make it feel as open as possible. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, players want to investigate the thing that you hand to them as the initial hook. Yeah. Um, right. And when they think something unrelated is related, I just make it related. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's what I was saying earlier with the whole like, you know, yeah, totally. That's that's exactly his plot is that thing that you just right. found out that you just found out. Yep. Uh huh. Um, even though that wasn't the intention at all sometimes. Right. Um, I I also really strongly encourage people, and we've we said this on this podcast before. We said it in books before, but do a session zero. Yeah. And also, if you do a consent form, which I do personally, uh, have sections on there for what do you want to see in this game and what do you not want to see in this game. Yep. And I always ask that anonymously if people want to be anonymous. All my consent forms are optional if you want to be anonymous or not. Um, and then I go through and I look at all the answers on like, you know, a nice little like Google sheet or whatever. And sometimes it's like, oh, everybody seems to want to do a dungeon adventure. So instead of doing like, an, an intrigue game i'm clearly going to run like a mega dungeon yeah. or something of that nature and then we can see what happens after that you know we can run like a, a small one see where that goes then maybe get to a, a bigger thing whatever um but that is one of those things where like you need to be a little flexible or the the other part of that is that you present the game you want to run and players can decide if they want to play it or not Right. Mm. Um, those are pretty much the, the the two best ways to do it. I have found. 
because uh, I've had people present games to me and be like, do you want to play this? And I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's not for me. But like, y- y'all have fun. Like, I, I'm not going to be in this, but y'all have a great time. Um, and then there are games where the person's like, what do you want to do? And it's like, oh, let's, you know, investigate a necromancer. I, I don't know. And the DM's like, cool, great. We're going to do that then, you know? Yeah, I definitely think that uh, a session zero is, it's not imperative. I i feel personally for me, it's imperative. I want a session zero because I do base so much of my game off of the the things I want to, that the players want to see and the, the ideas that they have. So I want to know, I want them to make their characters together. Mm-hmm. I want them to have backstories together. I want yes. them to give me a, like hooks of like, oh, I have this, you know, there's some, somebody who beat me up and I'm I'm searching for them or I'm trying to rescue my mom who was kidnapped and, you know, 20 years ago and I'm still looking for her, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I want those things so that I can build my story around it. Um, and I have a jumping off point. One of the things that I really love and I'm going to talk about a, a game that's not an Onyx Path game really quickly. Um, How dare you? I know. It's I'm your sorry. first time hosting the Pathcast and you're doing this? Oh. I am. Wow. Yeah, wow. Sorry. Wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games have session zero character creation together where there's an inciting incident the how did you get together incident. And instead of playing through like a first session where you get together and you solve an adventure together, you instead describe what happened when you first started adventuring together. And the inciting incident Mm -hmm. defines like like some antagonist or person, like maybe an ally. And it's stuff like, you saved somebody from somebody else or somebody uh, you, you barely escaped from this situation or somebody did something terrible. What happened? Um, And it ties everybody into an event that you have commonly described together that you share is like, Oh, remember that time when, and it defines some antagonists and some allies And I love that because it's like, oh, here's the the players define these things, right? It's just a bunch of prompts and the players go, oh, I think we were, you know, I think we were doing this together. And it's like, okay, well, this was the adventure. And they they come up with their very first adventure together. And then Mm -hmm. you use that as like, okay, well here's the antagonist, this long-term antagonist that you guys just invented because you thought it sounded cool. Here's some allies that now I can put in danger because you guys have decided that you care about them already. Uh, Like you've described some of your personality traits of how you deal with problems. It's fantastic. I suggest doing this for every game. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
completely agree. That is something too that if you've ever seen Monica run like Exalted Essence for us or anything, mm-hmm. that's often the first thing that she does is she'll sit there. Like even if it's a one shot and we just made these characters and we're not going to play them ever again, it's like okay, so how do you know this person? What is the time that you saved this person? What is mm-hmm. a t- what is a secret that this person told you? Mm-hmm. You know, like just little connections. Yep. And that is definitely what I did during my Pugmire Session Zero recently. Was I'm like I'm like okay, so how do you know each other? You know, because we have kind of a, a weird party and that we are running mcguire with no dogs uh <laughs> a rat a mouse a bird and a cat <laughs> and so we need to have reasons for all of them to want to be underground because they wanted to do the mega dungeons weeks in the deep stuff yeah oh, okay and i'm like okay so why is this bird underground and then i realized later that she's playing like a canary so we have like a canary in a coal mine situation and it makes me nice. very sad um because i'm like i'm like well i, I if anyone dies, I kind of hope she dies first. Right. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, but yeah, like, it, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, so the bird and the cat are definitely outliers. Mm-hmm. Why are you down here? What is your purpose? What is this? You know, whatever. And we came up with some really cool character motivations from that. Right. So yeah, no, I, I was I was very pleased. And and I think that that, that level of brainstorming, because when you're a player, sometimes like coming up with a full backstory for your character or coming up with ideas for your character, or if somebody says to you like, well, what do you want to play? And they're, you're just like, I'm just here to play and have fun. I was, didn't think I was going to have to take a test, right? Like <laughs> mm-hmm. having a brainstorming session where everybody's throwing out ideas, even if you're not the one throwing out an idea initially, you can be like, ah, oh, I've latched on to, I really like this idea and now I have something to build off of. And even people that I see, like when I, when I have done this with other people, when I see uh, players who are a little more reticent or a little more uh, less, less capable of engaging either because they're just mind blank, no ideas, or, you know, kind of see that blank page and go like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm having, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. Once other people start throwing out ideas, they get engaged with that because I mean, yep. I, I, I'm sure there's a study out there that shows that brainstorming works because it does, uh, ideas as they start coming in and flowing between people, make other people get ideas. That kind of group inspiration is a reason why companies do brainstorming sessions and why brainstorming sessions are so valuable. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you were having player block about what do I want to do with my character? What do I want to, you know, I don't know how to engage with the story you know, I, I never come up with my own ideas. Like that's okay. As long as you can engage with other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. As the host, it's time for you to do a thing, Danielle. Oh yeah. It's, it's weird at time. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking at the time and been like, Oh, we're going over. Aren't we? No, yeah, I, we, are. I, we go anywhere from like 55 to an hour 20. It's fine. Okay. Well, it's, it's time. So, um, I am supposed to sign off by saying, um, well, hang oh, on, I, hang on. Wait, I gotta, I, I gotta ask where people can yeah, find as if us. People right? don't already know. <laughs> as if you don't already know, you can uh, wear Dixie. Can people find you? You can wear Dixie. 
Where can people find you, Dixie? <laughs> like a skin suit. Yeah, like a skin suit. Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Dixie Cyanide. And for anybody wondering why I do this every time, it's because when we started this podcast, I modeled everything I was doing off the Daily Zeitgeist, which I listen to every day, and they always do the sign-off thing. So I don't know. What are you going to do? Uh, and Matthew, where can they find you? They can find me questioning my choices over the last 200 plus episodes of this podcast, <laughs> as I at no point wondered why we close off in the exact same way every single time, and now I know. Uh, <laughs> and yes, they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com, they can find me on the Onyx Path Discord, and on Twitter at DawkinsMP, without uh. two-factor authentication, so feel free to hack <laughs> <laughs> uh you can find me at daniellozon.com you can also find me on the discord um danielle l is i think what i go by there uh and uh yeah so this has been my first uh hosting session and the onyx pathcast and as always uh many worlds one path cast